0: This is the Fighter Pilot Podcast, episode 26. This week, we learn all about the Marine Air Ground Task Force with retired U.S. Marine Corps Major Darren Wang Chung. I think this place is restricted, Wang.
1: Don't you. Okay, fine. Welcome to the Fighter Pilot Podcast, the internet radio show that explores the fascinating world of air combat, the aircraft, the weapon system. And, most importantly, the people. Now, here's your host, retired U.S. Navy fighter pilot, Vincent Aiello.
0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fighter Pilot Podcast. I am Vincent Aiello, but we need to change that opener, Sunshine, because... Oh... Who are you? I'm Sunshine Sinclair, the co-host. That's right. So we'll have to get my stepdad, Jim, to re-record that. But anyway... Welcome to episode 26. We're talking the MAGTAF. How's it going in your world there, dude?
2: yeah. It's going well. I'm excited for this episode. Yeah. So, uh, just about to officially retire. Had the retirement ceremony, and I did have a little spot on TV, as you uh, and the fans may have
0: seen. Yep. And then, uh, how about your world? You just moved, right? Yeah, we're in the new house right now, and digging out of boxes. It's crazy. Luckily, it was just down the street, so... In some cases, I actually pushed the barbecue grill over here because I thought it would be easier than loading it in the back of the The truck. simple approach. That's right. So, (laughs) But once again, I tell you, one nice thing about the military, maybe our listeners don't know, is that they move you, and not military people, but they contract it out. Absolutely. This was my first move without the military. It
2: was not fun. No, I was going (laughs) to say, uh, of all the moves that I guess I've done uh, since I've been married, so Mm. we count that as having a lot of stuff, it's been eight moves. And you're right, you can you can pack a lot of junk in there and the government moves it for free.
0: Yeah, well, but it makes it tough to find a home for everything. So we're trying to purge and get settled into the new place. Appreciate you asking. Otherwise, the uh, podcast is going well. We have, like you said, an interesting episode today just in time for the Miramar Air Show, which you're going to miss, unfortunately. Unfortunately, yep. All right, we'll have to do a better job of planning for next year. But we can get straight into it. Before we do, just a couple quick announcements. So as everyone knows, we've got sunshine here helping us out now. He's the man and might even do some episodes of your own or at least some interviews. We'll see how I that's going to work out. out on my own. Yes. Yep. Okay. And also I wanted to announce that we have several new Patreon supporters. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Do tell. Yeah. So we have division leaders, Patrick, Patrick, sing- single name only, I guess like Madonna, but that's what he wanted to be announced as, uh, then Damien Chevalier.
2: Damien,
0: Chris Coyle, and right. Vico Vilic. Vico, very And then nice. we have a new strike lead, Jesus Calderon, who's been emailing Jesus. and communicating with me. Yeah, so Fantastic. He, he came in at the $25 level. I sent him some stickers and a magnet and a thank you card. And so we love our patrons. We do. Thank you very much, gents. Yep, for sure. All right. So we have a longer interview today. Uh, what do you think? Do we have time for some question and answer? Oh, you know what? I say we get right into the topic. Yeah, we probably ought to, because we can do maybe a separate question and answer segment. In fact, maybe a Facebook Live session. I'm digging it. Let's do it. Okay, yep. All right. So listen in. We're going to talk all about the Marine Air Ground Task Force, and it's a longer one, so stay tuned for all of it. But Sunshine and I will be back at the end, and we'll explain a few things and pick it up from there and close it down from there. Sounds like a plan.
1: Hey, kid, I'm Al Chervik. I'm playing with Drew Scott today. This is my guest, Mr. Wang. No offense.
0: Okay, coming to you from Portland, Oregon, the Fighter Pilot Podcast is pleased to welcome retired U.S. Marine Corps Major Darren Chung to the show. Wang, how's it going today?
3: Jello, Uh, very happy to be here this bright and early morning.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Well, people don't know what time it is, but it is just the crack of 8 a.m., so we'll get through this and hopefully everyone will enjoy what we have to talk about. Well, you know the routine, sir. We like to know a little bit about you before we talk about the subject. So where are you from? How'd you get involved in the Marine Corps? And what are you doing now?
3: Right. Well, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, just south of uh, San Francisco, actually. And played sports in high school. I loved airplanes from the time I was a little kid. Had some family members that were working for the airlines, airline pilots. A godfather was an airline pilot. And I just had this intrinsic interest in in airplanes. I didn't know much about the military until I got into about junior high. um, And then I just kind of got hooked. I joined the Civil Air Patrol. As soon as I got a driver's license, I was working at an airport. I was gassing airplanes. And just kind of lived at the airport. As soon as I was about 16 years old, I started learning to fly airplanes. I graduated from high school and uh, had hoped to go to a service academy, but just wasn't focused enough to get into a service academy. So I ended up going to a local junior college, continued to work, continued to fly, and then eventually transferred down to Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo. Uh, Graduated out of there with a psychology degree, so between... Me and BS. There's definitely proof that uh, you, <laughs> you don't do have not need
0: to be an aeronautical. You engineer. do not need
3: to be a rocket surgeon uh, to be a uh, fighter pilot. Uh, did the Marine Corps uh, platoon leaders class, and then uh, got commissioned and went to the basic school, and then flight school. And and uh, you know you already did the, the the bit on Navy flight training, but that's mm-hmm. uh, you know how that goes. Uh, eventually made my way to, uh, to Miramar, got assigned to a, my first gun squadron VMFA two forty two. And uh, Miramar did a couple of deployments with them to Japan for about 12 months um, and then uh, came home for a little bit less than 12 months and then went to Iraq. We were the uh, the first F-18 squadron on the ground in uh, in Western Iraq back in 2004. Wow! Uh, and then, yeah, my career from there was some flying, a lot of work on the ground. I was a JTAC instructor uh, for about three years uh, in Coronado and then up in 29 Palms. Came back to flying, and then as the F-18 was starting to kind of go away, the F-35 was taking a little bit longer than everybody anticipated to get there. Uh, a lot of us thought we were going to transition, and we didn't. Um, I found that the Marine Corps wanted me to go do other things, so I found myself uh, overseas for about the last six years. I wow. uh, worked for the Navy in Japan for two years then Hawaii for two, and I finished up uh, right before retirement uh, out in Okinawa. Um, at the Marine Corps Infantry Division.
0: Okay. You threw out the word JTAC. We've used that acronym on the show before. Let's see, Joint Terminal Air Controller?
3: Joint Terminal Attack Controller. Attack, okay. So
0: maybe I didn't know it. All right. And we'll have a show on that in the future because that's a whole interesting subject in and of itself. Yep. All right. Now, you being a marine aviator, you are here today to talk about marine aviation in general and specifically what we call the MAGTAF, the Marine Air Ground Task Force. Did I get that right?
3: Yep, Okay.
0: Now, let's set the stage here a little bit. When an aircraft carrier shows up into theater, or presumably an Air Force squadron or wing shows up somewhere where something is going on, they will typically frag to, meaning they belong to the joint or combined, depending on the type of theater. So let's call it the Joint Forces Air Component Commander. So this is some multi-star admiral or general who is in charge of the air picture. And so he'll probably report to the person who's in charge of everything. So let's use Desert Storm, right? So it was what? General Schwarzkopf was in charge of everything. And I believe General Horner was the, I think for that one, is a combined CFAC, right? Combined Forces Air Component Commander.
3: I believe so. Yeah, Schwarzkopf was the commander for CENTCOM, which was the Geographic Combatant Commander.
0: Right. Right. Okay. So, and to be fair, some Marine aviation units will, in fact, particularly if they're part of the air wing, also belong to the CFAC or JFAC. But in general, Marine Aviation is a little bit different because they have their own whole team, if you will, whereas, you know, the Navy might support the Marines or the soldiers on the ground and the Air Force as well. The Marine Corps is different. Tell us about the MAGTAF.
3: Right, so the, the Marine Corps, generally speaking, wants to fight together, and they want to stay together. We train together, very similar to the way a carrier air wing trains together as they're getting ready to deploy. The, the Marine Corps does, to the best of their ability, something similar. So the, the MAGTAF, the concept, was kind of solidified in December 1963 with Marine Corps Doctrinal Pub 1.0. And it sounds kind of generalistic, right? It's the Marine Corps and the National Defense. But the definition that they use, and i and I've pull this off of the oracle of all oracles right i pulled it off of wikipedia g- you know, google and wikipedia <laughs> okay. you know, so so we know it's unclassified right because right. i saw it on the internet a marine corps air ground task force with separate air ground headquarters is normally formed for combat operations and training exercises in which substantial combat forces of both marine aviation and marine ground units are included in the task organization of participating marine forces so that's a lot of Organizing a lot of forces, a lot of Marines there. The, the short story is the MAGTAF is very much what the acronym implies, Marine Air Ground Task Force. Uh, it is a task-organized group that's got four different elements to it. And, and the elements are uh, the command element, or the CE, mm-hmm. the ground combat element, which we'll refer to just as the GCE, aviation combat element, which is we call the ACE. for obvious reasons. And then the logistics combat element, the LCE. So every MAGTAF of various sizes, and we'll talk about that, has all four of those elements uh, to it. Uh, And you could have a command element that for a MAGTAF that is very small and and very purpose-built, you could have a a commander that is a, a major or a lieutenant colonel even. But the MAGTAF that we're probably most familiar with these days and probably over the past 20 years is the Marine Expeditionary Unit, the Mew.
0: Okay. So let's draw a parallel because I love these, and it's almost football season. So right. the you being from Portland, I don't know if you like the Seahawks, but we'll just use them. So if the Seattle Seahawks are going to travel down to your old haunts there in the Bay Area and play the 49ers, they show up with a coaching staff. They've got the offensive squad, the defensive squad, special teams, and then, of course, all the ancillary folks. So the MAGTAF is a little bit like that. You've got folks that are in charge. You've got the troops themselves. You've got all the support, all the different sports stocks and coaches. In this case, you've got logistics. You've got the troops themselves. And, again, the air combat element or the ace. And that's what we're going to focus on for this show. But yep. is that fairly close?
3: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay. So... Now, that whole element in the MEU in your example can, what, jump on a bunch of ships and go somewhere and do yep. what so they a, need to do? a
3: MEU, M-E-U, or Marine Expeditionary Unit, is built around a reinforced uh, infantry battalion, which would form the basis of the ground combat element. They are reinforced with artillery. They're reinforced with reconnaissance Marines. They're reinforced with sometimes tanks. They could be reinforced with SEALs. Uh, all these different sort of combat support uh, elements. Mm -hmm. Um, They would be paired, that reinforced infantry battalion, who's commanded by a lieutenant colonel, O5, um, would be paired with uh, a VMM, which is an Osprey squadron, so a reinforced uh, MV-22 squadron. Uh, And it's like no MV-22 squadron you've ever seen. So the standard squadron size for an MV-22 is 12 airplanes, and I couldn't tell you how many Marines they had. It's probably well over 200. That squadron gets reinforced with a heavy lift capability, uh, which would be CH-53Es, soon to be CH-53Ks. They would be reinforced with rotary wing assault support and strike capabilities, so Hueys and Cobras, which would come from an HMLA, Marine Light Attack Squadron. Uh, And it would be something like 12 Ospreys and maybe three or four or five CH-53s, and seven or eight uh, of a mixed UH-1, AH-1, and then uh, add a fixed-wing strike capability on top of that, which previously, well, actually, I'm sure there's still Muse going out with Harriers now, um, anywhere between six and eight AV-8B Harriers, Uh, and now as the F-35B comes in, um, it's probably a similar mix of, you know, six or eight F-35Bs, and that forms the flying side of the ace. Um, You'll also have one or two KC-130s that would be fragged to support that Mew as they go places. Obviously, a C-130 is not going to land on on an amphibious carrier, an an LHA or an LHD, but uh, anywhere those guys go in the world, those C-130s can push forward uh, and to support them with any type of assault support requirements they have, air delivery, aerial refueling. And so it's a pretty capable force for a given period of time. And you would measure that in what the Marine Corps would call or, or the military calls days of supply. Like how long can a Mew support itself ashore away from its shipping?
0: Right. Okay. So the core element of the MAGTAF are the guys on the ground slugging it out. They yep. are the ones that That's are going
3: to be yeah. yep,
0: in the dirt, holding the ground. Everybody else is supporting them. And so you've got this element, this squadron almost, but you call it reinforced. So when I hear the word reinforced, I think of adding plywood to your windows if a you know hurricane's coming. But you're talking about reinforcing with additional elements. So you said they'll come from different squadrons. Is there one squadron then, or one element that's in charge, and then everybody else just kind of they still wear what their squadron patches, but they show up and they belong to them. No, for a while?
3: they they chop very similar to uh, the way uh, a Navy F-18 squadron. Or squadrons would chop to an air wing and start okay. a workup, and, and chop to the ship. The Mu squadrons and Mew support squadrons, the whole Mew chops together. Okay, so the the Mew Ace usually brings all their airplanes together for six or eight months. Prior. Sure, but yeah, so it, the the basis of the Ace is this twelve-plane MV twenty-two Osprey squadron. So the Osprey squadron stays whole, and then they add okay. basically detachments from other squadrons, and all those other squadrons will supposedly wear the VMM whatever number, VMM-214 or whatever patch, and it would say reinforced on there, and it would just be in parentheses, capital letters, R-E-I-N. Okay, interesting.
0: So then the MV-22 squadron is the core element because they're the ones moving the Marines, and so everybody else is supporting them. Okay, that makes sense.
3: Right, and then the other uh, contributing squadrons will, obviously, they'll provide pilots— So an an Osprey pilot is not going to fly an F-35 or a Cobra. Those squadrons provide the people, the maintenance support, the airplanes, everything. And all those guys train together so that they know how to work together to support each other across tight model series, across missions. Because the Mew has a tremendous range of of missions that uh, they may be called upon to do and are being responsible for.
0: Okay, so in this example, the Mew can go aboard ship and deploy. So let's talk about the ships very briefly. Yep. So these look a lot like aircraft carriers, but they're not. And I don't know if you can articulate it, but LPHs, LHAs, is there a difference here that you're prepared to enunciate? Uh,
3: so the the LHD and LHA are what we would call the big deck amphibs. Okay. Um, if you ever put them next to a Nimitz-class carrier, a CVN, it 's a bit laughable to call them a big deck, but as far as marines are concerned you don 't get a lot of marines on uh, on nuclear powered aircraft carriers right. uh, with the with the carrier wings um, that 's the big deck okay uh, and it is a fantastically complicated huge boat that actually has an additional level of complexity even beyond a nuclear powered aircraft carrier because it 's amphibious. So not only does it have all the flight operation stuff going on up on the flight deck right. and a hangar deck below the flight deck, right. but below the, the hangar deck, there is all of this storage for all this combat equipment, mm-hmm. uh, trucks and Humvees and artillery and uh, light armored vehicles Landing and craft, you name it. Yep. Well, And then below that even, you have the well deck where the, the back of the ship opens up, drops a ramp down into the water and then they put ballast in the back of the ship so that the ship sinks in the water. They fill up that... A little bit. They, they fill up that, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just a little bit, an appropriate amount. That's right. Um, so that they can fill the well duck up, and you can have LCACs or uh, hovercraft in there that can carry a tremendous amount of stuff and people. Wow. Or LCUs or LCM. I don't think we use LCMs anymore. I think it's all LCUs. But uh, another large landing craft. Looks kind of like uh, a much larger version of what you see in the opening scene of uh, Saving Private Private Ryan. Ryan. So the
0: Higgins boats, right? Exactly, yeah, Yeah.
3: thanks. The Higgins boats. And they've got a big ramp on there, and you can put a tank or two on a Higgins boat. And I'm talking about tanks because it's kind of the heaviest piece of ground equipment. You don't see tanks on Muse uh, quite as much anymore. There's not a ton you can do with four tanks.
0: But you're talking like full up, M one A one type battle
3: oh yeah tanks like Abrams sixty eight or seventy tons wow uh, yeah so those things
0: are heavy and they're hard to get the, around
3: the, yeah they are All so right. the center point of the the mute command element is going to be on the big deck amphib and the reason for that is because the big deck amphib runs the entire the old term I think was amphibious ready group now I think the term is uh, the ESG or the expeditionary strike group right so the expeditionary strike group is basically the the conglomeration of the blue side and the green side. So the Mew, with all of its four elements, gets together with the Navy and all the elements that go into getting those three ships together, the the LHD or LHA, the Big Deck Amphib, uh, the LPD, uh, landing ship dock, and then the LSD, um, which is another, it looks more like a traditionally shaped Ship just a
0: bigger flight deck on the back. Uh, I it's think, a right? little
3: bit bigger flight deck, mm-hmm. not as big as the big deck amphib. The big deck amphib looks like kind of like a World War II assault carrier, right. um, But the other two, in some cases, carry more stuff inside. They all have well decks for the most part, um, so they've all got something stuffed underneath that's gonna get wet and it's gonna take <laughs> Marines and equipment right. uh, to shore.
0: So these ships pull up and theoretically, like you know, a beehive. That's getting disturbed. You guys come in from the air, from the sea, and you can go ashore. And of course, anyone who's familiar with naval history can tell you that you guys have done that and done it well all over the Pacific in World War II and even in Europe. Now, are you guys the ones driving these ships or these Marine Corps ships?
3: (laughs) If you were to ask a Marine, I think a lot of Marines would probably say that, especially the younger Marines, they'd say that's my (laughs) ship. But if you walk around, you know, especially like in the hangar deck or anywhere near the gym, you know, there's in the gym, there's green hours and there's blue hours, you know, okay. and, and sometimes you don't want the, uh, the young Marines and the young sailors getting together all the time as much as they might be able to. Sure. So you kind of keep them separate, but no, I mean, the, they are, they're Navy ships. Sure. Um, they're L class ships. Every, every one of the designators starts with an L. Uh, and that's to let you know that it is amphibious in nature and the Navy actually calls it the Gator Navy. Um, right. or, you know it 's not the brownwater navy but it 's it 's the gator navy it 's all the ships that are not quite like all the other ships
0: <laughs> well uh let 's see what movie was it uh a few good men where uh, I think Tom Cruise's character is squaring off with a Marine character, and he asks if he doesn't like him or something. He says, no, I love you, Navy fellas. You always give us a ride wherever we need to go. And,
3: right, right, yeah. And so
0: that's the point, right? So you put the Navy and the Marine Corps together, and sure, there's going to be some little you know, trivial rivalries, but for the most part, we become a team. We get you guys where you need to go. And correct me if I'm wrong, there's some things that the Navy provides the Marine Corps that the Marine Corps does not provide for itself. And I'm thinking specifically here, Corman and I think some of the religious folks. Uh, Why is that?
3: Yeah, so um, I mentioned uh, that I didn't do very well in school. I certainly didn't do well enough to become a doctor. Uh, (laughs) There are a lot of Marines that are very, very intelligent, but right, the Marine Corps, as being part of the Department of the Navy, we get a lot of support. I mean, Mm -hmm. absolutely required support from the Navy. We didn't start off as being a separate service, and we're kind of going in that direction. But the Navy provides the medical service corps, mm-hmm. uh, they provide chaplains, they provide an aviation infrastructure, high level infrastructure that allows the Marine Corps to have airplanes and to, and to maintain those airplanes. Without NavAir, there would be no Marine aviation. Uh, as much as we try to design a whole bunch of our own airplanes from scratch and Come up with with these crazy ideas for airplanes that take off vertically and airplanes that look like helicopters, but it's an airplane, but it might be helicopter. (laughs) You you know, there's a structure above the Marine Corps that is just massive and absolutely required to sort of support all the Marine Corps' kind of crazy pipe dreams and Navair in particular. Since we're talking aviation, is is one that is really allowed to enable the Marine Corps uh, to do all the cool things that we've been able to do with aviation kind of from the time we started.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, and it's absolutely required because you guys have, I would argue, such a specialized focus, which is let's show up, let's storm the beach, let's do everything we got to do. We really can't, I don't want to say be bothered by these other things, but it takes a long tail to get that dog to uh, be able to hunt because there's so much required, and not just the logistics. You know, We're talking about the C-130s leapfrogging around to wherever the rest of the Mew is going, but all the background support of just making the aircraft work, And all the things that Reki talked about on our TPS episode of just making sure that the weapons, when they fall off, I shouldn't say fall off, but, you know, are released, don't come back and hit the aircraft. So definitely a lot involved.
3: There is a lot. In some ways, the Marine Corps is a microcosm of the larger joint world. We have an aviation arm. we We have a ground combat arm. We have a logistics element, which every branch does, right? So we have our own Air Force. We have our own, dare I say, Army, so to speak. And we have the Navy, of which we are a part of, right? Right. We are part of the Department of the Navy. There is not, as much as some Marines would like to think uh, and believe and act, there is not a Department of the Marine Corps.
0: So getting back to why the Marine Corps does not have its own medical corps or chaplain or Religious services. Is it because you guys like to hold on to the idea that every Marine is a rifleman?
3: Yeah, that's actually one of the, the core foundations of, of the MAGTAF and of the Marine Corps, right? Every Marine a rifleman. From the, the actual rifleman to my mechanics that work on the airplane um, out in Al Assad, uh, Iraq, or uh, Camp Bastion. Uh, it was a really good example of, of of every marine or rifleman with with a really sad story uh when we lost a handful of marines and a whole bunch of airplanes uh when the the base was attacked at bastion but you had aviators and guys that were not infantry marines but that were that were trained uh the enlisted the enlisted marines go through if they don 't go to a school of infantry they go to marine combat training mm-hmm. uh, which is infantry training they don 't get the MOS, the zero three dot, dot, whatever MOS, but every enlisted Marine out there has shot a lot of rifle rounds, Uh, maybe pistol. They probably all shot machine gun. So they're, they're moderately familiar with that. And I have no problem whatsoever uh, with a Marine uh, with a shouldered rifle Working on my airplane because that's exactly how we were uh, out in uh, out in Alasad.
0: Absolutely. So the officers get it at the basic school, and as the name implies, it's the very first thing you guys do after commissioning, right? About six months long in Quantico, Virginia. That's correct. And then everybody else gets it. And the idea being is that if a young Marine is working in the motor pool and his job is to make sure the two ton trucks or whatever you guys use these days are fueled and ready to go. But there's an attack on the base, as was the case at Bastion in Afghanistan will then pick up your weapon and fight because the Marine Corps is going to be on the cutting edge. They're the ones that are land- storming the beach and you can't afford to have people there that are, not able to do that, no. right?
3: And, and it's not only pick up the gun and start shooting in the direction of people, but it, they know how to organize. Right, they can operate together. I mean, we our smallest fighting unit is a four man fire team. The fire team is the basis for the squad, which is the basis for the platoon, which is the basis for the company and the battalion, and so on and so forth. You know, getting back to the magtaf, uh, we have these basic building blocks, right? Mm-hmm. A two-ship, a section of aircraft can support each other. There's mutual support there. Right. You'd love to go out as a four-ship, right? So your four-ship is considerably more capable than a Marine fire team. But the, the idea is the same. We know each other's jobs. We have mutual support. Everybody has their lane, if you will, that they're going to stay in, but they have the ability to support the lane next to them, which is their their buddy, their wingman, their flight lead, their squad leader. Awesome.
0: And so, yeah, to your point, getting back to the MAGTAF and specifically the ACE, since this is an aviation-themed show. So, really, just about every Marine Corps aircraft that exists is part of the MAGTAF. Absolutely. Okay, so we've got, again, the C-130, the MV-22. MV or CV? I've always wondered that.
3: Uh, MV-22. MV-22. I believe the CV-22s are owned by the Air Force, or specifically AFSOC. Yeah, I need to
0: get smart on that. And then, like you said, Hueys, Cobras, Harriers. Lightning Two, the B model specifically, yep. F-18s. No, right. Uh, now, will F-18 be part of the MAGTAF? Because they can't really go on the amphibious ships. They so, will be on the nearby carrier, perhaps.
3: So, right. The F-18s are not going to be organized uh, and chopped, right, change of operational control to the MU, per se. But you can have – so there's different sizes of MAGTAFs, right? And there's okay. different there's different jobs that they do. The term – Right now, the hot term is special purpose MAGTAF, SP MAGTAF. Uh, and we have a number of those kind of all throughout the world because, hey, if there's a fight or if there might be a fight, the Marine Corps is going to be there. And uh, so you've got special, special MAGTAF crisis response elements, which are m- smaller than MUSE, but, They're
0: very focused, probably. Right, they're
3: very focused. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them just do uh, combat search and rescue. Um, some of them just do quick reaction forces. So it would be some type of a ground combat element. Maybe it's a company, maybe it's a battalion minus, right? Maybe it's a battalion without two of their companies. So it's only out there with, with two. Um, and they go out with, maybe it's just six MV-22 Ospreys or eight and some additional logistics elements. And they're doing whatever the geographic combatant commander for the the part of the world that they work for need them to do. So small force, smaller footprint, but still with some support requirements and logistics requirements. You know, there is a tail there that needs to be maintained. Um, But we have varying sizes of magtafs for the different jobs. Um, The Mew is sort of the famous one, uh, and it's the one that um, has gotten – that we train up all the time. You have three standing Mew headquarters, uh, permanent Mew headquarters on – the West coast and on the East coast. And then you have a standing Mew headquarters, uh, in Okinawa as well. And, and we can talk about that more specifically if you want, but those Mews are the traditional Mew that we've spent a lot of time talking about. It's, it's centered around infantry battalion with a reinforced MV 22 Osprey squadron. It used to be CH 50, uh, excuse me, CH 46, um, C night, or, right. you know, we call the frog, um, used to be the frog squadron that was the center point uh, of the Mew ace, but Um, that's your standing headquarters. What you also have as you move up in a level of command, you have a Marine Expeditionary Brigade. Um, So whereas a MU is commanded by a colonel or an Mm 06, right? A colonel, sometimes it's an infantry guy, sometimes it's an aviator, will command the MU command element, right? So going back to those four elements, he will command the lieutenant colonel that is in charge of the ground combat element, the battalion, the lieutenant colonel that owns the aviation combat element, the squadron, the reinforced squadron, and then the lieutenant colonel or the major that uh, is running the combat logistics battalion that is the support. So there are varying sizes of marine air ground task forces. Um, Some of them are war fighting commands. Um, A MU would be probably the lowest level of of major combat operations, really, they're more of a major combat operations contributor, more than anything else. There's not a lot you can do with a bat- with a battalion, and a squadron. You're going to run out of people, and you're going to run out of time, and and everything else. You can't cover a very large area for a very long period of time with that much stuff. But you can do a little bit of work for a little bit of time. You know, to stay unclassified and to and to keep the conversation like sort of scaled. So as you move up a scale. Um, you go to a Marine Expeditionary Brigade. So whereas everything was sort of squadron and battalion based there, you move up a level. Now you're moving to uh, a Marine Expeditionary Brigade would have, instead of a squadron as an aviation combat element, it might have a Marine Air Group. Uh, And the brigade, the MEB, would be commanded by a one- or a two-star Marine General, possibly an aviator, and... Everything would be sort of organized at the regimental level below that for all of the contributing forces. So, Marine Air Group, um, a Marine Infantry Regiment or Marine Regiment, possibly a uh, Combat Logistics Regiment as well, or at least supporters from from a from a uh, Combat Logistics Regiment, um, and it's just a larger force. And it could be a MEB is probably around you know three to four thousand total Marines in in the whole in the whole package, whereas a mu I think I've heard about 2,000 to 22, maybe 2,300 Marines and supporters that are both organic and inorganic uh, attachments uh, to that. Above the MEB, you have the MEF, the Marine Expeditionary Force. Um, they also have a significant combat uh, capability. In some cases, the MEFs are more force providers to those folks who, those commands who, use Marine squadrons or Marine regiments or mm-hmm. Marine groups in different places. So you've got three MEFs. You have one in Camp Pendleton. That's one MEF. They are the largest MEF in the Marine Corps as far as amount of stuff, people, gear, uh, and geographic space that they own and are responsible for. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have two MEF at Camp Lejeune or Camp Lejeune, uh, North <laughs> Carolina. Uh, and then three MEF is in uh, Okinawa, Japan, uh, Camp Courtney, okay. uh, Japan. Excellent.
0: Now, every element, though, is not based together. So, for example, in Camp Pendleton, you have some of the rotary wing assets, but not all the fixed wing, correct?
3: Right. Camp Pendleton's going to have a lot of the rotary ass- assets for one MEF or the MEF ACE, which on the West Coast is 3rd MAW, 3rd Marine Aircraft Wing, okay. uh, which is headquartered in uh, Marine Corps Air Station Miramar. But again, they have elements uh, at Miramar. They have elements at Camp Pendleton. They have elements at um, Marine Corps Station Yuma.
0: Okay. Now the MAGTAF, when it shows up on the scene, I mean, okay, for the last seventeen years, it's a different story. We've been in Afghanistan, but generally, you guys show up, kick in the door, break some china, and then you generally don't want to be an occupying force. I mean, it's it's kind of a wham-bam. Thank you, ma'am, if you'll excuse the expression. It, yeah.
3: No, that's that's true, and um, you know the the Marine Corps especially over the last 16, 17 years, has kind of been, well, I guess they've been this way the whole time. Uh, if there's a fight, we want to be there. And in any sure. capacity that that we can be. So if we've got to play a second land army role uh, and own battle space, then that's what we'll do. And those are obviously decisions that are made at the general and ambassador level. Right. But the Marine Corps is going to fight for battle space. And that's a, that's a kind of a term that's probably come about and m- maybe become more formalized while you and I have been in the the military. Um, battle space is everything to a commander. Um, you want to own the ground and you want to own the air over it. Mm-hmm. And if you can, and ground commanders very rarely own any air, like they may own up to, 100 or 200 or maybe 300 feet in certain areas for certain times because they are flying uh, these little backpack um, unmanned aerial systems um, and they want to try to deconflict from the aviation. But if a MAGTAF commander comes in that has an aviation combat element and his command element has aviation planners because by definition the command element would have to in order to sort of incorporate all those different Parts and pieces together, uh, he's probably going to be able to own some airspace. And actually, that was what we were able to do uh, in Iraq in in 2004, and possibly before that. I, I wasn't at the big push for uh, OIF one, but I went back, and it was OIF two, and we were working in Western Iraq, which largely was owned by uh, I think it was one MEF. So the Mar- first Marine Expeditionary Force forward, they brought the uh, large mass of Marines came from Camp Pendleton to run the one mef area of operations, which was basically um, the the sunni triangle and, and and most of western iraq and and that was focused mainly uh, around Fallujah mm-hmm. and then west northwest and southwest of Fallujah, past Ramadi out to uh, the Syrian border. And when you have the ability to own the ground and the airspace, then you can do some pretty cool things because we're all on the same sheet of music. Um, When we went to Iraq as a squadron in 2004, we didn't do training with the MEF for you know with 30,000 other Marines at at Camp Pendleton, but we did do uh, a program uh, at Mots One in Yuma called, uh, I think it was called Desert Talent, and that was a workup that was about three or four weeks. Um, to get us within the mindset of what we had to do and how we had to do it working in Iraq. We knew we were going to Al-Assad. We knew Ramadi was about 70 miles away and Fallujah was about 90 or 100 miles away. We were going to support Marines on the ground there. Some of those Marines that were on the ground there uh, out in Iraq were actually at uh, Desert Talon with us, were we're out in Yuma with us, and we did things that we'd never done before, like escorting uh, logistics convoys, um, and supporting logistics convoys that came into contact, uh, and we would support them not just with eyes looking down, but if they needed uh, strike if they needed kinetic strike capabilities, we could do that uh, in a fixed wing aircraft. I will tell you it 's probably easier to do in a helicopter, hmm. and we work with helicopters too, so we worked the integration piece of there 's guys on the ground, there are guys, there are friendly guys there 's folks out there that are not friendly, but not unfriendly, and then there are unfriendly, there are hostiles out sure. there that we've got to find, you know, have more or less declared, and then work in close air support with a joint terminal attack controller. Um, we can go and uh, service targets, we can keep the Marines safe. At the end of the day, everything that I'm doing in an airplane is about Keeping the Marines on the ground safe, keeping the soldiers on the ground safe, whoever I'm working over.
0: And they're the ones in harm's way, really, because at the end of the day, they might have a little dirt thing to sleep in or whatever, and we get to, in some cases, on the carrier, go back to our staterooms or wherever your base is. But yeah, exactly. For sure. Uh, But on the other hand, that's why I picked aviation, because I did not want to be slugging it out on the ground in the dirt. But now, Every year, you mentioned Miramar earlier. That's the big Marine Corps air station in San Diego. Every year, they have an air show, usually around the end of September, and they have a MAGTAF demonstration. Now, I'm guessing not every strike is going to be the same. And, of course, for the sake of demonstrating to the hundreds of thousands of spectators they get, they have to do it a certain way. But is is there sort of a generic response that the MAGTAF has, or is it, tailored, I'm guessing, to each situation. And what might a MAGTAF assault, if you will, look like? Or what does it look like, at least at the air show?
3: Yeah, The the MAGTAF demo, as I remember it, having not been to to Miramar uh, in a few years, but I remember the first one I saw was actually at um, Marine Corps Station El Toro. uh, and They have as much of the elements of the MAGTAF that we've been talking about present and sort of showcased, if you will. And uh, it's funny that it actually ends with uh, a little bit of a parade uh past the bleachers, mm-hmm. where just thousands and thousands of spectators are watching and you know the infantry marines don 't get a high five they don't they don 't really they don 't get a lot of movies made about them um, and they don 't see the general public a lot. The general public does not see what marines or for that matter soldiers as well do right. for their jobs. And the MagTap demo is a really cool way to sort of show that. So the MagTap demo that I remember from, gosh, probably 10 years ago, and it's it's changed a little bit. It, it got anemic for a little while because we were actually in combat and we were using airplanes and we were working our airplanes over. So we had less participants uh, playing in the MagTap demo. I think it's getting better now. I think they're bringing – you're going to probably see some new airplanes. You're probably going to see the F-35B, maybe mm-hmm. the F-35C. Um, they're going to integrate all this stuff into this scenario that I, I doubt the same narrator for Miramar is doing it now that did it ten or fifteen or twenty years ago when I first saw it. But it was phenomenal. It was one of the like it was one of those things that said, "Wow, yeah. just proud to be an American." Holy cow, we can do all this as far as the situation and the geography it's done for show. It's a stage, right? The the runways and the grass between the runways that we light on fire and blow up for a MagTap demo. um, It's a stage. It's not a tactical environment. Things have to be uh, sort of flowed and directed Mm -hmm. uh, to adhere to FAA rules for the air show. Sure. Adhere to all the other airspace around, you know, for the sake of Miramar. Um, So we do have some places for airplanes to hold. We have uh, fixed wing airplanes that hold off at a distance. We have C-130s, m v twenty two ospreys almost certain they 're going to have a ch fifty three if not two or three or four of them pick up uh, an m triple um, seven one hundred and fifty five millimeter artillery piece and fly it around right. and, and actually the osprey can can lift uh, can lift a triple a seven as well um, but you 'll see the scenario start out as uh, uh we 're offshore of a distant country and we're going to um, I don't know, one of the things that the MUSE used to do back many years ago or still capable is a non-combatant evacuation operation, or NEO, right? right? We're going to go rescue the embassy. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you don't show up with all your stuff right off the bat. You know, the reality is probably some SEALs go in ahead of time. You know? <laughs> well, we have a reconnaissance capability uh, ourselves in the Marine Corps, and, and they jump out of airplanes, and they parachute, and they spy rig, right, hanging underneath a helicopter um, on a rope. Uh, they are inserted in some form or fashion to put eyes on the ground, sure, um, and those guys would be able to build an intelligence picture for us um, and then be the the absolute pointy end of the spear um, that everybody else follows behind, so the way the scenario goes is you know here come the reconnaissance marines, and they 'll probably do a static jump uh, static parachute jump out of a C-130, because it would just take forever if they were doing a a halo jump from 20,000 feet. But they'll do a static uh, static jump, and they'll deliver four guys. And those guys do a lot like what Marine Force Reconnaissance Marines do all the time. They Mm -hmm. go kind of deep or deeper into a a hostile area and set up shop.
0: But clandestine. Um,
3: Right. As we say, a snoop and poop. Or okay. you know the secret squirrel sure. stuff. They do what they got um, to do uh, to to build the picture for everybody else that follows, uh, and then um, maybe y- we might see some marine uh, UAS systems fly over to to sort of represent uh, ISR. Okay. Um, and and then they'll kind of go away to clear the airspace, right? Sure. And then w- when I was in Miramar, uh, my first squadron, we actually got tasked. I didn't. I wasn't tasked to fly any of these um but we got tasked to fly for part of the air show which is just feels like when you're a new guy in a squadron like a license to steal oh, yeah. you know it's great um low
0: fast and loud right. oh yeah
3: but uh we had uh F18Ds I was in a two seat squadron and we had a, a, a capability in the nose uh called ATARS it's just a, it's a reconnaissance pod mm-hmm. uh but it it does some radar stuff and it does some electro-optical visual stuff, um, and we would say, okay, we're gonna go and we're gonna conduct a reconnaissance pass or a recce pass, and it's usually low and it's usually fast, um, and we'll put a two ship up because you know it's the air show and we gotta send two airplanes, sure. so. The recon guys would be in there, they'd do their thing, and the idea is that they're talking to the airplanes that are standing off the distance. Time is compressed significantly, of these course. things would happen over the it's course theater. of several, several days, but sure. in the case of a forty five minute uh demonstration it, it sort of it hits all the wickets for the MagTap, <laughs> right so two f eighteen ds would 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 scream by at an airspeed that is probably much faster than what they would do for a re- reconnaissance pass, but it looks cool um, and sounds cool and it sounds really cool, uh and that would be sort of like. The Marines are here. Somebody's here. Right. You know, the U.S. is here, I guess. Uh, and then um, a, a a op a opposition force would show up. Probably other Marines dressed in something different would pop up, and you would see Marines sort of trading shots with blanks, you okay. know, right in front of you. It's like sure. it's it's pretty fun to watch. Uh, it's like it's like playing cowboys and Indians when, when we were kids, or playing war. You know, right. I mean, we we all did it right. Um, and then the, the Marine recon team would simulate. So a guy stands up, which he probably wouldn't ever do, but so you know what's going on as, a, as you know thousands of spectators. He gets on a radio, and he's pointing his hand this way and that way, and I'm doing this. And then the narrator would say, we're getting ready to call for fire um, to support the recon team so that the follow-on forces are able to land without being you know harassed. So explosions explosions you know pyrotechnics go off and and we neutralize uh some of the some of the bad guys uh and then okay now what that's done is that's allowed us to establish a landing zone so our reconnaissance team has established a landing zone and now we can bring in uh the infantry holy cow like cue the music Ride, it's, of it, right, it's, it's, it's ride of the Valkyries. Right, it's 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 right of the Valkyries, and six Ospreys would take off usually like from the LHD pad on the south side of Miramar, uh, and they would have probably a company's worth of Marines, hundred or so Marines, um, and they would land. They do like a, a combat approach and a combat land. They might do one pass around just to sort of show off the Ospreys and do sure. a little bit of formation work, and then they'd show how quickly they could enter a zone, get the uh, get the prop rotors. Spun up and they land quick, and then they would just dump the marines out mm-hmm. um, somewhere off, you know, stage uh, stage right. Uh, you might have a company of marines that are in uh, Amtrak's or amphibious tractors, right? Those would be the the things that those those tank looking things that come out in the back of a uh, of an amphibious ship and Swim. by the grace of God <laughs> somehow float sixteen tons or twenty tons, uh, whatever it is, yeah. right. With with about a squad's worth of marines in, you know, there's obviously no beach by Miramar, but uh, they would simulate coming ashore, and then you would have these Amtrak's coming ashore. Mm-hmm. Next, you'd have the Ospreys who just dropped off the marines. The Grunts would go back, they're hooking up artillery, and then they're bringing triple sevens around, putting them behind the marines, um, and with the gun teams that are there, and they're going to go through and and do a demonstration as well of, of showing fire and maneuver and and traditional, very traditional marine fire support, uh, indirect fire support. Um, and then now that you've got the company on the ground, you probably have a forward air controller or a JTAC. And now we can really bring, you know, uh, as the Marine Corps says, you know, puts the enemy in the horns of a dilemma. Right. Move this way and my, my ground guys are going to shoot you with direct fire. Right. Move that way, and my artillery guys are going to get you with indirect fire. Move over there out of the range of artillery, and my air wing is going to come get you right. with Cobras and Hueys and F-18s and F-35s and Harriers and you name it. And, oh, by the way, if the F-18s and all the fixed wing, uh, they start to run out of gas, here comes a KC-130, and they would do a demonstration of a KC-130 uh, you know, refueling. They would join up. They wouldn't actually do a plug, but they'd join up. Uh, in right uh, in pre contact and mm-hmm. and fly behind the the c one thirty and do a pass or two there um, and it would that was just kind of how it would go um, and then the scenario would kind of back down all of our uh all of our adversary operational excuse me all of our opposition forces would would die a glorious death of course uh, in uh, in in air quotes combat uh for the crowd. Uh, we do the show. Uh, I think the nine o'clock show is different than the seven o'clock show or the Sunday show is different than the Saturday show, but uh, they, they do it two or three times uh, over the, the, the weekend of Miramar. Um, and then it kind of, it crescendos with F-18s and Harriers and F-35s doing low altitude pop-up attacks, right. uh, you know, simulated ordnance. but um, there are, there are air show folks that have put, you know, pyrotechnics on the ground. So the airplane goes by and a, and a, gallon jug of gasoline explodes. You get a cool... You, it's just... It, it's just like America, They've right? got it... Oh, yeah. For it's sure. America.
0: They've got it pretty good now because they have like simulated gun firing right. like hits on the ground right. and the sounds yeah. and everything. Yeah. And then, of course, the big... Grand Finale is the Wall of Fire that they do, where right. it's you know like a Mark seventy seven firebomb. Exactly,
3: like, I love the smell of napalm in <laughs> the morning, right?
0: <laughs> I just used that on a previous <laughs> uh, episode. So the idea being that even though it is scripted and theatrical, it demonstrates to the taxpaying public what the United States Marine Corps can
3: do. Absolutely, um, I I'd heard you know over the years. There's a lot of little bylines about the Marine Corps, what some president said or didn't say about the Marine Corps. You know, these are the things that we sort of hang on to. But, you know, the big one is um, America has a Marine Corps because America wants a Marine Corps. Um, We have infantry. We have an army. You kind of have to have an army. Um, You you have a Navy. We have a Navy because we are a— we've got two massive oceans on either side of us. Mm Uh, and we have to use that Navy. Um, and we have an air force. Um, the Marine Corps is sort of the conglomeration of all those things together. And it, in some respects, it doesn't make a lot of sense to have a Marine Corps. We're we're much smaller than the other services, like maybe not even half the size of the other services in terms of personnel, um, in terms of equipment and everything else and, and overall combat power. Um, you know, but we're like that um, we're like that little pit bull right we're kind of small but you know, there's a lot of fight uh, in the Marines and um, we're looking to go uh, if, uh, if if there's a place to go but right I mean America wants a Marine Corps it may not all of America doesn't know what the Marine Corps is and all of America might not want a Marine Corps but, but generally speaking the only reason it exists is because because they want us because they want Marines
0: Yeah, and you guys have been slugging it out for years you've proven yourselves and You know, every time someone comes along and thinks, "Oh, maybe we don't need one," then you guys prove it again. I
3: I am, I, I am so lucky to. I feel so fortunate to be able to say I I was, I was a little part of that tapestry. You know, I was, I was a little part of it. I wasn't a great part. Um, I wasn't particularly noteworthy. Uh, I was happy to be on the team when I was there, Uh, and I got to contribute. I, I got to fly my airplane in Mm -hmm. combat and support Marines on the ground in combat like on the two-way rifle range it simply does not get any better than that
0: well wang i wouldn't you know trivialize your contribution the tapestry as you put it requires thousands of threads all to be woven together to be a tapestry and so you're one of those threads and on behalf of the listener want to thank you for that and uh, how many years of service did you do by the way
3: I did 20 years.
0: Did 20 years. Yep. Well, thank uh, you for about that. about a year ago. Okay. Yeah, because we didn't really get to that. We'll, we'll touch on what you're doing now, what the future holds. But uh, as far as the Miramar demo goes, that is, again, every September, and it's a great show. And I plan on being there this year. You should come on down uh, if it's too
3: I, late. I think I'm going to try to get down there for that. Hopefully, I oh, can good. get some days off.
0: All right. Well, cool. We'll keep in touch, and we'll see if we can get you over there. All right, dude. Well, thank you for coming on the Fighter Pilot Podcast today and talking about the MAGTAF. I know I always say this at the end of interviews, we could go on and on, but in the interest of the rest of your day and the listeners, we'll uh, wrap it up with that. So you talked about your military service. You retired about a year ago. What are you doing now and what does the future hold?
3: Um, Moved up to the Pacific Northwest and um, I got a job uh, with an airline. Uh, We did... Uh, my wife and I worked on a little project uh, that was maybe going to be an alternative to airline flying, but it appeared that the world is not ready for it. So, fortunately, um, I had enough uh, flight time and enough flight experience to to get hired uh, by the airline. So I've been up here. I'm still a pretty new guy, um, but loving the Northwest. We just bought a house. Um, we're, uh, we're 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 loving it up here. Good.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. Enough said. All right, and then, of course, you've heard the show, so you know the final question now. Darren Chung, Wang. Gee, uh, it's probably not going to take much imagination to figure this one out, but you said even your on-wing said it in flight school, so it sounds like something you've had for a while, but any interesting story there or anything more to add on the you, call sign?
3: You know, not really. Um, there are certainly worse call signs. Uh, I've I've had, you know, people's call signs, sometimes they, they change uh, from one year to the next. Mine never really changed. I had some folks... Uh, actually, when I was a, a FRS student at 101, uh, some instructors tried to change it, and a couple of I didn't say anything. Uh, a couple other instructors said, "No way, there's no way I'm going to fly with a guy with that call sign on my wing." Um, it stays as Wang. But uh, you know what? One of the things that um, you know about call signs is if you really don't like it, you better not say that you don't like That's it because right. great, it's settled then. Um, so right. Uh, you know, rule zero for the call sign didn't really apply with me, or at least I kept it secret. Right. So no, uh, gross, irreversible physical abnormalities. Uh, I'm a Marine and a naval aviator, so it's not gonna be anything heroic that we did because that just doesn't fly. Um, I don't think the foolish things I did in the airplane were either enough or remembered, uh, well enough to give me a call sign for that. So we go to, I think it's rule three or four, right? Which is, we'll just play with your, you know, a, a play on your name if, right. if, if something makes sense. So, right. Uh, I was a uh, a flight student, uh, actually prior to starting API. So even before ground school for the T-34, uh, I had a pretty long pool that I was in waiting to start training. And uh, a friend of mine uh, who was uh, at 101 as a student said, hey, you should come out to El Toro, stash here, you might get an F-18 ride, you know, who knows, it'd be good, it'll be good to be back in California anyways, so uh, I did that, I came out for what I thought was going to be a month, um, and it turned out I was stashed at 101 for six months, uh, and actually, you know, helped move the squadron from from El Toro to Miramar, but uh, where the call sign came from, um, I worked in the training shop, and any chance I got, I would go st- deal time in the F-18 simulator. Mm-hmm. And usually it was at night. Um, they stayed open until nine or 10 o'clock. And usually the squadron was done with it in the afternoon. And then you just have uh, student pilots going there to get extra SIM time if they could. So I was usually the very last guy closing the SIM down. And uh, I was in there, you know, playing around. I didn't know how to fly a F-18, <laughs> um, but I knew enough. Um, and uh, I heard somebody Come over the the ICS, and he said, "Hey, who's in there?" And it was one of the instructors that I'd worked for in the training shop. And I said, "Hey, sir, it's uh, it's Lieutenant Chung." And he said, "Chung? You mean like Wang Chung?" And I said, uh, "Yes, sir. Yeah, it's Lieutenant Chung." And he's like, "Nope, it's Wang." <laughs> I said, "Do you mean to get out?" And he said, "No, Wang, you're good. Uh, go ahead, stay in there, and uh, I'll just see you tomorrow morning. Uh, you know, have a good time." And you know, the call sign. Uh, had been said three times. Uh, so it has been said, so it shall be. There you go. Uh, and it kind of just stuck, uh, and it worked, and I-, I didn't fight that one very much.
0: Yeah, well, it's a no-brainer. So uh, thanks to Caddyshack as well. I think uh, everyone likes the name Wang and Wang Chung the song too. So I- I'm a yeah. child
3: of the 80s. There you uh, go. Everybody have fun tonight. <laughs>
0: Well, on that note, dude, thanks for your service. Thanks for coming early this morning to talk about the Marine Air Ground Task Force, the MAGTAF. Hopefully, everyone will get a chance to see it demonstrated if they ever have a chance to go see the Miramar Air Show. And unless you got any parting shots, I think we can wrap it up and get out of here.
3: I'm great. Thanks for having me, Joe. Appreciate it. All right. See ya. Hey, Wayne, what's
0: with the pictures? It's a parking lot. Come on, will ya? All right. Phew. That was a long one. That was, but, man, very good. Yeah. What stuck out to you?
2: Uh, A couple things. Firstly, I guess some some acronyms we should probably cover that didn't get covered. Yeah, one was MOS. What is that? Yeah, Military Occupation or Occupational Specialty. I've seen both uh, instances, if you will. And that's going to be a code that basically, traditionally, four alphanumeric, four digits, that'll tell you what you do, your specialty or skill set in the service.
0: So using, as I love to, analogies, or in this case an example from the movie Full Metal Jacket, graduation day. The gunny's got everybody circled around, and he's yelling out numbers and telling their names Boom. and where they're going. Is that that exactly was their MOS? Right. Yes. So that one guy got so, uh, Joker twenty three ninety or whatever yeah, uh, I, combat, whatever. Anyway, I uh, probably yeah, should have researched I, I, this first. I remember but, the
2: army one of 0311, which is an infantry O three, and then I think rifleman is eleven. So 0311. Okay. But yeah, I, I want to say
0: army. I want to say the gunny was saying O three hundred infantry. Because I remember thinking, boy, they have to get up early. And then someone explained to me that's a <laughs> no, MOS. It's not a
2: time. It's a, that's right. Okay. Yeah. So,
0: yes, it is a job specialty for, in this case, the enlisted Marines. And then Halo, he threw that out at the that's end.
2: That's right. Uh, I think that's high altitude, low
0: opening. So if you jump out of an airplane at 25,000 feet, but you mm-hmm. don't open your parachute till a couple thousand feet,
2: exactly. that would be a
0: Halo? That would be all absolutely
2: right. right, yeah.
0: Cool. So we can maybe have a show on all that stuff someday because there's reasons you may want to do that. Or you may have a ho. And we Ah. could talk about that sometime because then the winds can blow you in uh, to wherever you might be going. Mm -hmm. All right. And yeah, I thought the cool thing too was that he was a not aeronautical engineer, not to say that... uh, (laughs) I am bored by aeronautical engineers. There you go. Because
2: I am one, so I love to see the different
0: flavors of pilots. Cool. And so he definitely had a different background as did his predecessor there, BS, in episode 25. And in fact, he and I, uh, Wang had a longer discussion on his experience in flight training. Okay. And I cut all that out because it was such a long interview already, but for our patrons at the division lead level and above, that will be available to them as a little bonus excerpt. Nice. So uh, anyone who's interested in that, go check out patreon.com slash fighter pilot podcast and you can get the rest of that story plus a bunch of other just excerpts on things that were interesting but in the interest of time i had to cut out so i stitched it all together it's not the best edited It just all of a sudden goes from one subject to another and, you know, it, it's there. I'll tell you what, stream of consciousness can be very entertaining. <laughs> well, until they had uh, you come along, Sunshine, the guests can tell you, the listeners, I should say, that that is what they often receive from me. So <laughs> now, now you can provide some reality. Some more random right. musings. You know what else I thought, though, that he and I should have talked about is that the magtaf does not only do combat missions. A lot of times, the MAGTAF, right, with the ship and everything else that they have, can show up and do humanitarian missions.
2: Absolutely. Uh, Haiti comes to mind.
0: Right. So, big earthquake, big tsunami, big tornado, or whatever. uh, The Marines can show up. They don't have to break down the door. They can put the door back together.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And they've got a lot of, uh, if if you remove the air wing on board, right, Mm -hmm. you've got a lot of empty space, we'll call it, that you can fill with uh, food stores, like rations, or... um, the, uh, the Well, the water bottles and also the... MREs. Uh, MREs. Yeah, meals ready meals to eat. Ready Thank to eat. you very
0: much. Right. Plus, the ships themselves have water distillation capabilities, so they Fantastic. can provide fresh water. And they have hospital beds a lot of times to take care of people. And you just have young, able-bodied people that can show up and take care of business and get it done. So just like in combat, they can do the humanitarian mission as well. Yes, which is actually a very important role. I would
2: consider it winning the hearts and minds, right? Oh,
0: very true. Well, yeah. and and again, it's not just America going around and breaking things we can put things we back can together fix things well, too for yeah. sure all right dude anything else on the magtaf no great episode yeah i thought so and i liked the segue there as i i uh, want to do for my miramar friends into the air show that is coming up just a few days after this airs on the 21st and for everyone else at the end of september generally and that is at marine corps air station miramar it is Friday through Sunday, September 28th through thirty of this year, 2018. And admission and parking are free. It will be headlined by the Blue Angels, but also the MAGTAF demonstration, as we talked about. As Which always. sounds epic. Yeah, have you not ever seen this? No, I haven't. Okay. I'm actually bummed. I was bummed originally that I was going to miss it, now I'm really bummed. Oh, well. Well, so next year, dude, we'll have to get like a booth or a chalet to ourselves, so we can invite everybody there out go. there. But for anyone who's interested, I will be in the Semper Phi Chalet. That is not free access. But if you go to MiramarAirShow.com, you can check out how to get in there. You can rub elbows with us all day. I will have two past guests and our photographer. Sweet. And maybe even some of my own family members. And then, as I've said before, I will be under the C-5's right wing with my fighter pilot podcast polo on and some stickers and magnets and cool stuff to give away. And so if anyone wants to come find me there when I'm not in the chalet, I'll be there between roughly 10.30 and 11. And I believe I said 1.30 and 2 on Saturday only. I won't be at the show any other days. But come on out. Check out the air show. Always a great time. Weather's usually good in Miramar, right? You can't go wrong.
3: San Diego. That's
0: right. And it should be a lot of fun. So come on out, everyone, and say hello. And next year, like I said, we'll get Sunshine out there as well, and you can meet him. All right. Well, I think unless you got any parting shots there, Sunshine, that's going to do it for this episode.
2: No, another great episode in the books.
0: Okay. Well, let me remind everyone the views expressed in this presentation are the personal views of the hosts now, plural, Thank you. And our guest. Thanks, Mav. That's right. (laughs) And do not necessarily represent the position of the Department of Defense or its components. So that'll do it for this episode. Tune back in in 10 or 11 days. We'll have another exciting topic ready for you. But until then, what do we say? Let's get out of here. All righty. See ya.
1: Thank you for listening to the Fighter Pilot Podcast. Got a question for the show? Send an email to questions at fighterpilotpodcast.com. Or leave a message on our listener line at 877-MACH-101. That's 877-622-4101. Be sure to check out our website at fighterpilotpodcast.com. You can also find us on all the usual social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. For exclusive Fighter Pilot Podcast content and to help support the show, visit our Patreon page. Please like, follow, and share us with your network. And if you have a moment to leave us a rating or a review on iTunes, we would greatly appreciate it. Everybody have fun tonight. Everybody have-
3: yeah that's good stuff I hope hope it I hope it edits well yeah I I, I, I have a tendency I'm verbose at times (laughs)